Hey, are you sure God called you to do the work you're doing now? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, our business partner today is FreshBooks, the cloud accounting software that allows you to make your financial issues easy. Hey, we're going to be talking about some deep questions today, obviously, starting off with the one I kind of let in with there. This is Dan Meller. You're listening to the 48 Days Radio Show. Hey, if you're curious about why it's 48 days, if you're a new listener, let me give you a quick update on that. been using this for a long time. Years ago, I was frustrated as a career coach working with people who were clearly not happy with their jobs. We'd map out a plan of transition, clearly identify what they were going to be moving into. And two years later, I run into them. They're not, they've not done anything. I'm like, what's up with this? And people got stuck waiting for all the conditions to be perfect before they made a move. And I decided, you know, this is not good. This is not moving people into their new levels of success. When they get stuck in indecision, procrastination, waiting on God, whatever they, however they couch it. So I wanted a timeline. So rather than just being one more career coach who says, well, when you get everything worked out, you can make some changes. I'm the guy who says, you can make a dramatic change in your life with new results in 48 days. If in fact you create a plan and act on it. Now the 48, I'd love to tell you that that was some scientific kind of process to come up with exactly what it is. It really wasn't that. I did it kind of as a, just as a, a gimmick because 48 hours was becoming pretty popular as a TV show. And I thought, well, I can probably get some name recognition because of that unusual number. So rather than just being 30 or 60 or 90, something we're kind of used to 48. And when I started using that, 48 days to the work you love, people immediately started asking, you mean I really can change my life in 48 days? It had a magnetic power that nothing else, a week, a month, a year, that, that would have because it was unique. Now that goes into branding and certainly you can do that for whatever it is you're doing. What is it that distinguishes you? For me, that's what sets me apart from other career coaches out there. If you do a Google search for career coaches, you're going to get, you know, 12 million sites, something like that. I'm sure I'm in there somewhere. I have no idea where, but if you've been in 48 days, I pretty well own that any day of the year. It's not because of fancy SEO or buying ads or anything like that. It's just because I'm the guy who says you can make changes in your life in 48 days. Well, thus, that's what it's all about. Well, here's some of the questions we're going to be asking or answering it today, coming from listeners just like you. If you've got questions, just shoot them into me at askdan at 48days.com. But starting right off, Dan, did you ever have doubts about what God's plan for your life was? What would you say to someone who thinks they're in too deep in their work to make a drastic change to turn their life into work you love? How do you personally not separate your work and worship as you state in the 48 Days book. What if as a college student, you can't seem to find work you love in a company? Do you choose to not work for that company, despite that maybe you currently can't find another option? 
And then another one, what do I do when everything that I'm good at is not anything that I can make a decent living off of? Well, you know, that's kind of a common recurring question. We'll address that again. If you're an artist, a musician, a sculptor, a landscaper, you know, there may be some things that it it seems like you could do them from personal enjoyment, but how in the world do you turn that into income? We just went to see Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie that kind of chronicles the history of Queen, the musical group, Freddie Mercury being a lead singer. Yeah, he was pretty passionate about his music. My goodness, the way that unfolded, where he took his passion for music, much to the dismay of his parents and others around him. You can't do that. You'll never make any money doing that. Well, he made a lot of money doing that, promoting his songs, writing music that had never been done before, combining opera with rock and doing some innovative things. Well, it made him stand out and thus he, they had a tremendous run of success with their music. I'm going to be telling you about how you can apply to be a pup turn and get paid a hundred dollars an hour to play with dogs. Well, we got some great things and the good news. I'm going to tell you about some unusual job kind of things that you could do. Um, Some of those you may enjoy. So we'll give you some ideas. Here's our quotation for today. This comes from Frederick Beckner, the theologian, philosopher, writer, your vocation in life is where your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need. Now we hear that. I mean, another way he said that is the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. I mean, what do you think? Is that really possible to express your greatest joy and somehow match it with a need that the world has? Is that really possible? Well, I think it is, and I see that played out day after day after day, and people who really enjoy their work, whether it's, you know, teaching school, or as a physician, or as an attorney, or having a landscape business, or in art, or music, or writing books. I mean, I've come off the last two weeks from two different author conferences. What a delight to meet these people who have brought their books to life. I mean, we told that's a goal of about 81% of Americans. Very few ever do it. But there are processes. Golly, I've got a process. I've got people submitting books to me. You can go to 48daypress.com, 48daypress.com, and uh, see what I look for in a book manuscript, and I can help direct you or work with you myself if you got a book that you want to bring to life. Anyway, that's what we're going to be looking at today. Hey, our partner today is Fresh Books, a business partner, always a delight to tell you about them and the things they can do. You know, one fascinating thing about the entrepreneur's journey is that what you see in the surface is rarely the whole story. Most successful small business owners have overcome serious obstacles to get to where they are. And one of the obstacles, certainly for me and a lot of you as well, is feeling overwhelmed when it comes to dealing with the paperwork and administration that's connected with keeping your finances straight. Well, conquering this feeling is exactly why FreshBooks was created. They make cloud accounting software that's so ridiculously easy to use. You won't even remember what it was like to feel overwhelmed by the paperwork. You can create and send a professional-looking invoice in about 30 seconds. You can connect FreshBooks to your bank account, so it automatically creates expense reports based on what you charge or to your credit or debit cards. And you can also just link those cards. So when you're out for lunch somewhere, can I take a quick photo of your receipt? You can have it link right into your fresh books to keep track of that as a legitimate expense. I mean, beyond 
handling the administrative stuff. FreshBooks can also act like your personal administrative assistant. For example, you can see when a client has looked at your invoice after you've sent the email. I mean, that's pretty cool. No more of this, oh, I don't think we got your invoice. Now you can see when they opened it, when they got it. And it's usually about three minutes after you send it. So FreshBooks is offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial. If you haven't done that yet, jump in there for all our 48 Days listeners. To claim yours, go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days and enter 48 days in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Again, just real simple. Go to FreshBooks, just like it sounds, freshbooks.com slash 48 days, and then put 48 days in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Well, let's look at some good news items here. I mentioned you can now apply to be a pup turn, so you can get paid $100 an hour to play with dogs. Yeah, this is really a real deal. You can get paid to play with puppies. I mean, how many of you would love to have that kind of an opportunity? Mutt's Canine Cantina is a dog park bar, and restaurant based in Dallas, Texas, and they're hiring interns for their new location in Fort Worth. The lucky candidate to land the fall pup turnship will be paid $100 an hour to play with the dogs in the park for four hours a week during the six to eight week internship. And then as an added perk as well, if you're selected as an intern, you're also given free food from the restaurant. Uh, Pup lovers can apply for the job by uploading a video of themselves snuggling with a dog to Instagram. The restaurant emphasizes that the more creative you are with your video, the better. Explain why you're the ideal candidate for the job and just be sure to tag the Mutt's Cantina Instagram account using the hashtag, hashtag Mutt's Pup Turn. Well, you can check it out, obviously. I'm telling you this in an audio format here. If you want to check it out, just Google that. You can get it there. And uh, get your application in if you live in the Dallas area. Now, it kind of prompted my thinking when I saw that about some of the other unusual jobs that are out there. I mean, you would be amazed at the things that are not on the Dictionary of Occupational Titles, not regular jobs, not things you're going to go get a degree in, but just jobs that you can do. You know, I mentioned this this time of year, back when my son Kevin was about 18 or 19 years old, he worked during the Christmas season as a UPS delivery guy. But now here's the thing. He helped them innovate a creative way to do this, where they would take a tractor trailer and just drive in early in the morning and drop the trailer in a community. Let's say there's, um, you know, a thousand homes in a community. Well, instead of the truck running up and down all these little streets, dead ends, turning around and all that, Kevin used a mountain bike with a trailer behind it. Now, the trailer was about six by eight, you know, pretty good size. He could load that up with all the packages that were going on a particular street. And then he'd ride his bike to that street, park it, deliver him back to the truck, get the next street and did that. It was a pretty innovative program, worked extremely well, was a great workout for Kevin, who was always training as a bicycle racer anyway. And that's one of those combinations, you know, where your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need. He wanted to train anyway. And he integrated it into a seasonal opportunity with UPS delivering. Well, here's some more ideas. How would you like to be a professional snuggler? Now, this is kind of interesting. If you need to be hugged, cuddled, or snuggled, but you're all alone, then your answer is a professional snuggler. You'd be surprised to find a number of companies offering the most enjoyable and relaxing professional cuddling experience. You get to hug somebody, and you get paid between $60 and $80 an hour. 
well, I'm sure your mind is going with other possibilities there, but this is a legit thing to just get snug. It, it kind of, it rung a bell with me because for the last eight weeks, I've been going to physical therapy two or three times a week. I'm just working on some upper body pain and challenges that I've had. So I'm getting increased mobility, reduced pain by going to physical therapy. Now, when I go, I'm usually there for an hour to an hour and a half. And the, I have to admit, the young gals that I'm working with are absolutely delightful. They are so patient, so tender and compassionate. And I've talked to them and, and they, they, you know, they work my arms and they pull around gently, increase motion and all that. I've talked to them about the fact that I'm sure there are people that come to physical therapy just for the human touch. I mean, people who don't have somebody that normally gives them a hug. I mean, I'm pretty blessed in that arena, but you know, I'm sure there are people who are not, and I can see people going to physical therapy just for the human touch and caring that they get. Well, but if you just want to be a snugger without going through physical therapy school, you can do that as well. How about this? A golf ball diver. If you enjoy scuba diving, being outdoors, then you're a perfect candidate for this unusual job. Golf ball divers responsible for collecting all the golf balls from the bottom of ponds and courses. Sounds easy and enjoyable. Um, <laughs> well, there's, there can be a lot of mud, algae and snakes down there, but if you want to be a golf ball diver, yeah, that actually is a legitimate position. You can get paid to do that. Pet food tester. Now this sounds pretty ridiculous, but really, I mean, they, they say pets are our friends. We have to make sure that what they eat is delicious and nutritious. So they call in the pet food testers. Yes, there are people who test the quality, the flavors, to see if it's up to quality standards. And there are people who test pet food. Well, I I won't go any deeper on that. Uh, It seems we put an undue amount of effort into taking care of our pets when there are people who could use a little help as well. But um, it it is a legitimate opportunity. Bed tester. Well, as the title suggests, there are people who test beds for companies and hotels. That's right. You're paid to sleep at work. Sounds like a dream job. You know, I mentioned last week when I was doing a a sponsor spot for Casper mattresses, uh, the fact that, you know, how much we love our mattress and how that's the first thing Joanne always checks when we go into a hotel. She goes right over and checks the mattress to see what kind of quality it is. Well, I had a couple people ask me, you know, what, what hotels we look for and where we think the mattresses are pretty good. Well, one is Hampton Inns. I won't go any farther than that, but Hampton Inns, some of the others are kind of hit and miss, but they seem to be very consistent in the quality of their mattresses. And so that's become kind of one of our favorites when we're out traveling. Well, how about a paper towel sniffer? You might've noticed all the paper towels either smell delicious or have no smell at all. It's not a coincidence, but the fruits of hard work from paper towel sniffers They sniff paper towels from manufacturers to make sure they don't have any undesirable smells. Um, Line stander. This, I've seen this. Yeah, if you don't like standing in line, there's a perfect solution. Hire a professional line stander. You know, if you're going to get concert tickets or something, you're going to see Taylor Swift here in Nashville. And it opens on Monday morning. Tickets open at 8 a.m. You may want to have somebody in line at 4 o'clock in the morning. Well, you can hire somebody to stand there and hold your place for you. Legitimate thing and certainly something that people are doing. Water slide tester. Um, You can check out the new water slides. 
take multiple trips down the slide, see how much water it needs, how quickly you reach the bottom, how safe and fun it is. I mean, <laughs> that'd be a pretty, pretty cool, pretty cool job. How about a snake milker? I got just a few more here I'll share with you and we'll go on to some other things. I mean, snake venom is used for many things, um, but the most important thing is its use in medical research. As a result, there's a high demand for snake poison every year. Snake milkers spend their days pushing snakes into a plastic container to extract or milk the snake. Yeah, not something I'd enjoy, but if you're into that kind of thing and not afraid of snakes, certainly could could work. Here's one that says body part model. Turns out you don't need to be beautiful or have an incredible body to be a successful model. If you have attractive hands or beautiful feet, the world is waiting for you. Now think about how many products we see. See the ads, whether in magazines or TV or whatever, where there's some kind of body part that's shown. Now I'm pretty familiar with this. When Joanne and I were first married years and years ago, we were living in a little trailer just off campus, the Ohio State University, you know, going to school there. Um, delightful life period of time in our lives that we actually, I mean, really thoroughly enjoyed. And Joanne was working at the hospital. I think she was making like $3 and 25 cents an hour, but she also went to beauty school and because of that had opportunities to model. We got a lot of pictures of her modeling when we were first married. One of those things was for one of the baby formula companies where she would hold a can of formula and then they would video that for their commercials. She was paid $20 an hour to just have her hands in the commercial. And we were blown away. $20 an hour. I mean, that was like more than an entire day's work for either of us. I was in school. Joanne was working at the hospital. But doing that, I mean, that was like paid her. That was big time for us to have her be paid that kind of money. And we talked about it often. A great experience. Stunt tester. I mean, if you see... Shows like The X Factor, Fear Factor. One of the challenges is to eat live bugs or insects to make sure that the disgusting food is suitable for eating. Companies hire stunt testers first. So they check the, they, they have practice runs with those gross things they do on some of those shows and then move into the real deal with real contestants. Well, I hate, I'm not sure I even want to share this one. How about an armpit sniffer? I mean, there are armpit sniffers who work for deodorant manufacturers to ensure the quality of the product. Sniffers spend their days in a hot room or outdoors, sometimes sniffing up to 60 armpits an hour. Their goal is to determine how effective the deodorant is. Then they write up reports and help the world to smell better. Geez, I don't think you could pay me enough to do that one. But uh, certainly unique things you can do. Also, this time of year, guys. I mean, this time of year, there's so many unique things you can do. I mean, walk through the mall and look at all the little kiosks. They all need people to man those. It may be that there's a unique delivery service or something that you could do, that you could add value to what somebody is already doing. Certainly, there are opportunities with FedEx, UPS, the mail service this time of year. Those are more common kind of things. But look for the unique things that may be part of this year. It may be a Christmas product where they need it demonstrated at that little kiosk in the mall. You're really good at that, good with people. Presentation, you can do something with humor and a lot of enthusiasm. Wow, the opportunities open up really, really quickly. Well, here, a homeless man finds artwork. 
I've got, got some other good news for you. Homeless man finds artwork that sells for thousands. And so a guy tracks him down to split the earnings. Now that's really interesting. A homeless man's life has taken a turn for the better thanks to a piece of art that he found in the trash. Adam, a Canadian man who'd been sleeping on the streets of Edmonton, Alberta, first found the piece of art while he was dumpster diving. He had uncovered a rare and authenticated frame from Disney's animated film Bambi. After uncovering the illustration, he sold it to Alex Archibald at Commodity Inc. for $20. Okay, so that could have been the end of the story there. It seems that neither Archibald or Adam knew exactly what they had found until the artwork later sold on eBay for $3,700. So instead of keeping the earnings for himself, Archibald, the little store owner, decided to track down the homeless man and split the earnings. I decided the right thing to do was to find him and that whatever it sold for on eBay, I was going to give him half. Here's a guy who needs it more than I do, so I just thought it was the right thing to do. He then embarked on a three-week search to find Adam, but had no luck. So he talked around, he talked to some of the other homeless, you know, finally figured out who the guy was, got a message to him. The guy came into the store, he handed him an envelope filled with $1,600 in cash, plus an extra $100. Well, the guy was very humble and a nice man. He was silent. He was tearing up a bit. He said, is this a joke? Is this for real? I said, yes, it's 100% for real. He couldn't understand why I was helping him. He even offered to give me back the extra $100. Such a kind guy, strength of character. Anyway, just a, just a neat story about helping somebody out, uh, doing the right thing. You know, you hear these stories about somebody who recognized a really rare book or piece of art at a yard sale, and they, you know, bargain to get it for two dollars when they know it's worth two thousand eh, not sure that's the right thing to do always yeah i mean being astute and using your good judgment is one thing but uh, sometimes the right thing to do may be to share the wealth with somebody who didn't know they had something that was valuable well this comes from earl who says dan uh, your newsletter title you don't need luck you need a plan prompted my reply i've been receiving your emails and have been a silent follower of your blog since about 2010 I have bought and read just about every book you've written as well as your complete career kit. The wisdom you've shared all these years, in my humble opinion, is priceless. I worked for a nonprofit faith-based neighborhood revitalization ministry from 2011 to 2017 in Huntersville, North Carolina. Now check this out. Errol says, I was 64 years old when I applied for the position of executive director of that ministry. I can say with absolute certainty that I would not have been fully prepared for the interview process had I not read over and over 48 days to the work you love and applied the principles you suggest in your book. Credit you and your book for helping me win that position, doing the work I dearly love for six years before retiring and moving back to our Ohio roots. Now he goes on in his his rewirement mode. I've had time to complete a part of my plan. I started way back before I left Ohio. Again, it was your wisdom and encouragement in your book, No More Mondays, that motivated me to pick up where I left off years ago when I started an outline for a book I felt I needed to write someday. Well, I'm pleased and excited to tell you that the book has just been published. It's now available on Amazon. And he, he says, I must confess that at the time I chose my publisher, I didn't realize you also have a book publishing service. If there's ever another book in my future, I'll certainly give you a shout. Well, thanks for that, Earl. Thanks for sharing. Golly, thanks for sharing what you are doing in your rewirement years and getting a book out as a major accomplishment. As I mentioned, Joanne and I have just been at two author conferences. We love mingling 
with writers. There's a lot of options out there. I mean, certainly the things that I'm interested in under the 48 Days Press brand are things that emphasize that line up with the 48 Days message. You know, finding work that you love, living out your passion, you know, starting a business. I mean, those are the kind of things that I'm going to be looking for. Again, that's 48 Days Press. Dot com. You can go there to, to check that out. And if it doesn't fit us, I mean, we have places that will refer you, connect you with other organizations. We've got, in the 48 Days Eagles community, I mean, the writer, writing in there is just exploding. There's so many people that are releasing books because we have competent people in that group who are willing to help. People like Jennifer Harshman and James Woosley, uh, William Parker. I mean, we've got publishers in there, editors, layout people, graphic designers. Everybody in the 48 Days Eagles community, and if that's something you uh, are not a part of, just go to 48dayseagles.com, but we'd love to have you in there. And that's a way to get help for all these other things that you may want to do. I mean, the easiest thing that I have to recommend to somebody who is stuck is to join the Eagles community because the resources in there are really unlimited. Well, hey, just a quick reminder here. In a transition, we're going to go into some other questions here, but these are real questions we're going to be addressing here from real life people just like you and me. I love to open the mailbox when I start reviewing things for the podcast recording every week. It's one of the most favorite times of the week for me. So if you got a question, just shoot it in to askdan at 48days.com. Again, that personal email address is askdan at 48days.com. Well, Greg, speaking of um, the Eagles community, Greg Tosi, who is on our new advisory board for the Eagles community, uh, we just selected an advisory board. It's going to help us lay out what we need to be doing in that community, how we need to communicate, what are the unique services that we need to provide in there. And he asked, he said, there's lots of talk of goals this time of year. What is your productivity system? Do you use a physical or digital planner to track tasks and goals? I'm going to tell you what I use. Now, you can get access to our goal planner. It's free. This time of year, we've got thousands of people that are downloading that and filling it out. And I love hearing those stories. But just go to 48days.com slash goals. It's an instant download. Now, it'll ask you to put in your, your name there. But as soon as you do, you don't have to wait for an email or anything. It's an instantaneous process. And you can pull up. It's a PDF, but it's fillable which means you can write your own answers in there and then it's preserved for you in a really beautiful layout. So we have that. I do the seven different areas that are in there. So I set goals clearly and you know, my timeline, you know, by the time you're hearing this, it's past my timeline for having my goals clearly laid out for 2019. November 14th is my day. That means that it's 48 days before the beginning of the new year. To me, it's really important to be clearly have clearly laid out what I want the next year to look like that much in advance. Then I can enjoy the holidays, spend time with friends and family. But it's also amazing to watch how in that period of time, just because I'm real clear in what I want to have happen, things start to happen even in that period of time, even though I am not specifically spending time making those things come to life. It's just inevitable when you're that clear on where you're going You'll move in that direction. It's that old adage, you know, we end up pretty much where we expect to end up. So if you 
clarify your expectations. You're going to be moving in that direction. You can't stop it from happening. So that being said, I don't refer to that long document. I have all my goals on just a couple sheets, just in pages, just a document. And I've got them all there. All the highlights of the bullets are right there for what I want to have happen in the next year. So I can refer to that really easily. I don't use a digital format. I don't have something to remind me every 10 days. I mean, it's so important to me. I just have that document readily available on my computer at any point. I can pull it up, remind myself what I'm working on right now, where I am in the course of the year, all those things I can readily you know, get on top of real quick. Now, I'm gonna, I've got some questions here. This week, I had an, an open session with a graduating class at Mississippi State University. This is something I've been doing, I don't know how many years. Dr. Randy Little is the professor who is the, the teacher of this class. He is in the Department of Agricultural Economics at Mississippi State. His class uses 48 Days to the Work You Love. And then I have an open session with the students right at the end of the semester where they can ask questions. Their questions are so profound. I mean, it blows me away. These are college kids. I expect people to have to have some life experience before they can even ask the right questions. This is an unusual group. He really preps them. They're very familiar with the 48 Days content. So they come to the table. They come to that session. We do it via Zoom. So I'm here in my office in Franklin, Tennessee. They're in the classroom down in Mississippi. I just come in via video, but then we interact. I have their questions in advance. So I'm going to share a few of their questions as well. These are coming from high school or from college students. Most of them just getting ready to graduate. And these are questions that they had, which just blew me away the depth of them. So I'm going to share just a few of them here as well. Did you ever have doubts about what God's plan for your life was? How did you personally specifically handle those doubts? And that is such an all-encompassing question. Came from a young gal named Christina. Yeah, Christina. Um, what a deep question. Have you ever had doubts about what God's plan for your life was? Well, I, I'm going to give a qualified yes, because I've never really felt like I was way off track. I mean, because I've always followed my curiosity. I've always followed my natural bent. I've always followed my passions. And because of that, it's led me into doing a variety of things. Now, keep in mind, I mean, I wasn't always a writer, coach, coach and speaker. I mean, prior to that, and I had a health and fitness in business. I mean, I sold used cars, had an auto accessories business. I mean, I did um, selling for proprietary schools or I would go door to door. And then I trained a sales team. And really built that business up. I mean, I've done a variety of things that seemingly are not even that connected. But even though they don't seem that connected, I never felt like I was off track. Like this is not what I should be doing. Because I take such a broad view of God's calling. My calling. I mean, my calling is to help high potential individuals understand and apply their unique and most powerful talents and passions so they can make a larger impact, leave a legacy, and thrive financially. Now, I can do that as a, an author, as a coach, as a speaker, but I can also do that. I can do that while I'm selling cars. 
or while I'm helping somebody with their landscaping, or while I'm painting houses. I mean, I can still do that. In that way, I've always seen my calling to be a much larger issue than just what I'm doing daily to create income. Now, that also takes the pressure off what I'm doing daily to create income. I could change what I'm doing right now. I really could. I could change if somehow this didn't work out or seemed to be the the end of the road came for some reason. There's multiple other things I could do where I would feel just as totally in the center of God's calling for my life as what I do with what I'm doing now. So I really haven't had, I mean, it's something that I come back to again and again and again. It's an ongoing issue. It's a lifelong journey to really figure this out, what God's calling you to and how that can be applied. But when you look at it, I mean, the things that I'm doing today, most of the things I'm doing today, like an online community, you know, or mastermind or a blog or having a podcast, I mean, those were things that were not available when I first started my career path. When I was 23 years old and a fresh Ohio State University graduate, those things didn't even exist. So it would have been impossible to see that God called me to these things because they did not exist. So it's not being called to specific things that I do daily. It's being called to more a theoretical concept of what I want my work to do. That's the way that I frame that. So I don't deal with a whole lot of doubt. I get up every morning confident that I'm on the right track and just do what I do. Golly, I hope that's helpful. Maybe it's more confusing, but I I do distinguish in 48 Days to the Work You Love between vocation, career, and job. And that's kind of what I just described. Uh, What you're doing for a job is the lowest component. That ought to be able to change and not change your calling or vocation at all. Well, another question, what would you say to someone who thinks that they're too deep in their work to make a drastic change to turn their life into work you love, as the book title suggests? Well, I've had the pleasure of working with a lot of people over the years who are really deep in their work by virtue of their academic and work experience. So if somebody has a DDS or a JD behind their name, you know, they're a dentist or an attorney, they've spent a lot of time getting to that point. I mean, right now I'm working with a 42-year-old cardiologist. I mean, he spent 12 years and a whole lot of money getting to that point where he's a cardiologist. And now there's some things that are causing him great angst and stress. We need to change some things pretty dramatically, but that doesn't mean that we negate the value of what he's already done. If I work with somebody who's a dentist, it doesn't mean we're going to say, oh, geez, you made a mistake. No, we're going to validate that in some way. It may be a really different kind of application. I mean, as you've heard me talk about, you know, I'm working right now with a pastor who four weeks ago, unexpected to his congregation, stood up and resigned and moved out of state. They'd already sold their home and uh, they moved out of state. Well, you know, does that mean that he probably made a mistake all those years, 54 years old? No, not at all. We're going to validate all the skills that he's refined and developed during that period of time that he was a pastor, but have those now in an application that's probably going to look more like marketplace ministry and in ways that he will never again have to stand behind a pulpit on Sunday morning. Yeah, it'll be much different, but it's just a gentle move. So I have never seen somebody so deep in their work that that they can't realign that into work they love. Again, it doesn't matter if it's a surgeon, pastor, dentist, accountant, engineer, doesn't matter, whatever it is, 
we can realign that. And it usually is a subtle realignment rather than just a dramatic throwing the baby out with the bath. Not going to do what you've done before at all. Great question though. Dan, how do you personally not separate your work and worship? As stated in the book, I talk about that a lot, that blend that I want to see where people looking in from the outside can't tell if I'm working or playing. They can't tell if I'm uh, working or worshiping. I mean, there's a Jewish word, Hebrew word, avodah, from which we get both the words work and worship. But to them, what they're doing on Thursday morning was just as much an act of worship as being in the synagogue on Saturday. I mean, that's a really ideal goal. And it's something I take very seriously. So yeah, the work that I do is integrally involved in how I worship. I mean, the act of walking across from my house to the sanctuary in the morning, walking through the trees and seeing the rabbits and the cardinals. To me, that's an act of worship. Being in the presence of God, talking to him as I walk over here. I mean, that's more worshipful than sitting in a hard pew for 58 minutes on Sunday morning. So to me, there's total integration in my work and play and also in this idea of work and worship. Totally go together. Well, let me grab a couple more here. What if as a college student, you can't seem to find work that you love in a company? Do you choose to not work for that company? despite the fact that you maybe can't currently find another option. No, get in the game. Now, here, here's the thing. Sometimes you can't identify work that you love in advance and from a distance. You have to get in the game. I mean, how do you, how do you determine if you love tennis? You can't just read a book about it. You can't just sit on the sidelines and watch a match. You have to pick up a racket and get in the game. That's what's going to help you identify if in fact you love tennis. Well, the same thing is true even with passion. I people say, I don't know what my passion is. You know, there's nothing I'm passionate about. And they're sitting on a stump, you know, waiting for a bolt of lightning to strike them. Don't do that. Just do something. Get in the game. I mean, you can be a greeter at Walmart. I don't care. But get in the game. Do something. I mean, there are people, you hear me often talk about uh, the guys I refer to Home Depot to go, they're always hiring. I mean, they pay well, they're always hiring. Go do that. Don't be unemployed for 12 months. My goodness, go get a job there, even if it's not your ideal job. So in response to your question, if as a college student, you can't seem to find work you love, absolutely. Get in the game. Take something you don't know if you really do love it or not. You know, when you have something that is the seed of a talent, the seed of a passion, and that's the way they start. I mean, passions don't show up full blown. It usually starts as just curiosity. But then in doing it, you know, the lady, Terry Brasher, who did the carving in the cedar tree here in our property of Aristotle, the beautiful, beautiful six foot wingspan eagle that we have here. I mean, she didn't just get up one morning and say, wow. I am really passionate about woodcover. No, she did little projects with her dad. And then she, over the years, as she was a corporate executive, did a few more. And it slowly developed into this thing where now she does these beautiful, beautiful pieces. And yes, she is passionate about it. 
But the passion grew, the love of the work grew by doing it, not by deciding in advance that was the perfect thing to do. So it's kind of a catch-22 there. You have to get involved in something before you really discover it's work you love. That's why I value the work experience at the first part of many people's careers. You know, those first eight, 10 years and people thinking, oh my gosh, I've had four different jobs. I'm a mess. I don't know what I want. No, the value, the greatest value of those initial jobs typically is in helping you clarify what it is you don't want to do. There's value in that. If you had a job for two years, I'm working with a lady right now who's been in a position for three years. She thought it was her dream job. She'd been working at her own organization prior to that, but had this opportunity. They recruited her heavily and she took a position and she was totally convinced it was going to be her dream job. I'm not sure I can use a descriptive word and say it on air for what that has turned out to be, but it is not her dream job at all. Now, did she make a horrible mistake? Is her life on hold? Did she move back three years because of, no, not at all. This has been a great clarifying experience for her. It's also increased her center of influence dramatically and given her connections that are going to really propel her as she moves into the next season of her life. So there's great value in it, even though she detests the work, detests going in. And I have people all the time who tell me, you know, they dread Monday mornings, obviously, and the, that their work is sucking the life out of them. And I hear a lot of descriptive terminology for what the work is when it's not online. But don't negate the entire value of that, even if it's just for helping you clarify what it is you don't want to do. There is value in that. So no, if it's not work you love, jump in anyway. That'll help you clarify. And you're more attractive to other people as well if, in fact, you are working rather than just sitting on the curb. So everything works to your favor to go ahead and get engaged in work, in a job, even if it's not your ideal choice. Well, somebody asked, what do I do when everything that I'm good at is not anything that I can make a decent living off of? Well, <laughs> I think, I think you've, you've stretched your theory here You've given a broad generalization because that cannot possibly be true. Everything that you're good at is not anything you can make a decent living off of. Now, I just described Terry Brasher, who does wood carving. Now, that's not the kind of thing you're going to sit down with your guidance counselor in your sophomore year at college, and you're choosing a major and a career path trust me, they are not going to come up with tree carver, you know, wood sculptor, not going to happen because it's so individualized. But see, that's where people really move into work that they deeply love. It's when it is so individualized that it, it's only they who could do it. It's not just one more tag. I mean, I mean, as great as they are, I mean, it's easy just to keep going to school if you're smart enough academically and end up with an MD or a JD or a DDS or a PhD behind your name. I mean, if you pay enough money and hang around long enough, you're going to get that. But a lot of people who have done that did so because they could not figure out the really unique things that they were good at. So they just went 
along with the big crowd. And so we have one more dentist, one more doctor. And I'm not negating that, but for a lot of people, it was not a real passion. It was not work they love. It was simply a way to procrastinate making a decision. They kept going to school and all of a sudden now they got a degree behind their name and it's not work that they enjoy now. In the book, The Millionaire Next Door, Dr. Thomas Stanley's book, he talks about the characteristics of people who ended up extremely successful. Their average GPA was 2.7. Now think about how this plays out. If somebody goes to Vanderbilt here in Nashville and they get a 4.0 and they graduate, they're going to be highly recruited by the medical school, the dental school, seminary, pharmacology, all those things are going to be recruiting them because they have proven their ability academically to fill in the blanks. And so they're good candidates to keep going to school. What happens to the kid who has a 2.7? They don't get those fancy invitations, but you know what? It often forces them to figure out what is really unique about them. What is the kind of work that they would love doing? And they move into that. I mean, he profiles in that book, The Millionaire Next Door, somebody who started buying scrap material and started making boxer shorts for prison inmates. Well, the guy's a bazillionaire. You know, he talks about a guy who started buying old truck parts and now he's got junkyards across the country. I mean, there's a guy right here in Franklin who is, I have no estimation of his wealth but it's millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. And he has over 200 salvage yards around the country. I mean, not a real fancy kind of business, but extremely profitable if you know what you're doing. So those are the kind of things. If if you have something you're good at, I'd venture to say you can make a living doing it. That's why I would rather have somebody grow dandelions if that's their passion then try to talk them into being a computer programmer because we know there are opportunities, career opportunities there. Yeah, I'm going to go with what your passion is every time. That's why, you know, I love living here in Nashville where we have so many people who are want to be musicians. And you know, I have a grandson who's writing songs right now and trying to figure out how to get those in front of the right people. I mean, how cool. You know, I had a neighbor who has, has a beautiful, beautiful farm that was paid for totally by one song that Garth Brooks picked up as the writer, not the performer. So I I love those kind of things. I mean, we're not just looking for a a needle in a haystack and hoping for something unrealistic, but just when you follow your passion, you're really good at it, you can figure out how to make a decent living doing that. And hey, check out Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie. We really enjoyed it. Took some grandkids with us, really enjoyed seeing that movie. But an example of somebody who said, yeah, no, everybody else says I can't do this, it won't work, but I'm going to do it anyway. Well, I want you to do the same thing. Hey, let me know what it is you're doing. Let me know what it is that is your unique passion. I mean, share your ideas. If you're in the 48 Days Eagles community, it's easier for me to communicate with you there, encourage you, and give you resources. But, you know, let me know what your passion is. Shoot your questions in. Again, you can do that. Just ask Dan at 48days.com. Oh, we got our cruise coming up. Jeez, I need to be. Uh, we, we, I said that we would have people 
we'd give people opportunities to do it like a TED talk, an 18 minute presentation there. Cal, I've gotten flooded. I, I have to have some criteria up for that. I didn't realize how open-ended that was. And I got people with ideas. We could never incorporate all of them, but we are going to do that. So if you're going to join us, the 48 days cruise, and you can just go to 48 days.com slash cruise, get all the details. And by the time you're hearing this, I will have up there some criteria that we're looking for, for people to be presenters on the cruise. Boy, acres of diamonds. I mean, we're going to share things that are right under our nose, opportunities that we're seeing as we go into 2019. Of course, the cruise is not until the end of April, so you got some time to get ready. Let me know what's happening. Hey, and above all, thanks for being part of this community where we, in fact, are finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.